Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Anatomy of Movie. That's right, we're discussing The Mummy, the first installment of Universal's Dark Universe. And we're here to talk about the pros and the cons, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, mummy lovers. We return to Egypt for yet another installment of the mummy franchise. It's not technically a reboot, but nonetheless, <laughs> you can consider it as such. Uh, but before we get going, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. We have Dimitri Pano. Hey, movie fans. What's and going have, on? And we have the most subdued music ever <laughs> as we build up. It's, it's, it, that's a very soft bed. Um, we've got a lot to discuss. A couple of things right off the bat. If you're just joining us for the very first time, understand that we are very spoiler-filled. So if you do not wish to ruin the movie for yourself, um, stop now. Go see the movie. Then come back to us. Secondly, if uh, if you're listening on audio or wherever, even if you're watching, uh, in the description box, there's a link to a rundown so you can follow along as well. There's a lot of... Uh, juicy nuggets that we don't always get to but certainly are in there so that way you have an even more richer experience with the movie if you will and with us um, and as always let's start with overall impressions for this movie uh, why don't we kick it off with you Marissa uh, well I generally actually enjoy the Mummy franchise so from you know the 1999 Brendan Fraser's version um, like so I like I, I went into this film thinking it was going to be fun and exciting and energetic, and I think it, it definitely was. I don't think it was the best kickoff to a big universe that universe is you know set, universal setting up. But overall, it was still fun. It was enjoyable. It had its moments and it had its um, comedic characters. It had some scary moments, kind of like some of the cheap scares that I don't like, but yet they were there. Overall, it was a fun movie. Um, maybe not the best, and because I saw other films throughout the week that I thought were better than The Mummy, but I, I think as an action film, it hit all the expected beats that the previous films had set up this movie to be. Dimitri? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm a big fan of the Universal Classic horror movies. Uh, every October, I break up my Universal Classic set, Dracula. Frankenstein, Wolfman, The Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon and such. So, big fan of those horror movies. Um, I, As far as The Mummy goes, um, I love that original film because it is a... Well, it's a horror film, but it's uh, entombed, let's say, in like a love story kind of thing. And Boris Karloff is fantastic. You know, and I, and I, and I appreciate uh, what I believe it was... David Tui, who directed uh, the Mummy reboot with Brendan Fraser, those were at least fun movies. Actually, Stephen Summers. Stephen Summers, thank you. Uh, and, and those were fun movies. I think the first two, um, I think, were really fun. So, with that said, um, coming over here, I, I just this movie just didn't know what it wanted to be, and for a and I understand this whole kickoff of the Dark Universe and that Universal wanting to cross-pollinate their, their classic monsters. And let's not forget that they've, they sort of, Universal kind of invented this with the classic monsters. There was the Wolfman versus Frankenstein and, and things like that. So they were doing this back in the 30s and the 40s. So, you know, everybody's like saying this is because of, you know, Marvel Universe. 
I'm sure that had influence. Like, we have the great library. But unfortunately for their kickoff, they came up with a movie that it just didn't know what it wanted to be. It was like, it was a mess all over. They, Is it an origin story of Prodigium? Is it an origin story of what Tom Cruise becomes at the end of this movie, like The Mummy? Um, I mean, I honestly don't know. Is it a horror movie? Is it a thriller? Uh, it, it's just, it's all over the map. And I just think that it, it's a shame because of the talent in, involved. I mean, M- McQuarrie, who worked in Usual Suspects, and he's worked with Tom Cruise, uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie. He's worked a Mission Impossible. He's done uh, the, the Reacher movie. Over here, he's worked with David Kep and and John Spates and and a couple of other writers. And they just didn't seem to focus in on anything in particular, which made it maddening for me. And then you had uh, Kurtzman coming in, and this is his first really big budgeted feature. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I know he was supposed to do Star Trek, this last Star Trek movie. Opted out of that. He gets this movie. And where his set pieces are fine, I just didn't find that he was able to set up suspense for horror. Uh, And, you know, and I can't really point necessarily to performances. Everybody was fine. They just... I think where there's no focus, you just the characters just don't know what they're in and what they're supposed to be doing. And if you want to distinguish yourself as being a unique and st- startup movie, then don't don't reference things like American Werewolf in London. Don't have plot points from that. Don't do the mummy uh, the mummy scream in a sandstorm kind of thing because that's what the Brendan Fraser mummies set up. Don't do that. Like be your own thing. And why can't we have a mummy that's actually? encased in bandages like if you're going to be a throwback and you want to pay homage to that do it um they just i I just think that this movie um really missed its mark and there aren't enough bandages to wrap up this mess of a mummy for me well we definitely have a lot to talk about um with that um there's a lot of controversy surrounding tom cruise did he have too much to control so um we'll talk about that what did Um, you think um well my thought on it is, uh, like Marissa, I enjoyed the first three mummies. I, I you know, um, I forget what everyone's real take on the third mummy is, but I actually didn't mind that one either. Um, it was just fun, and, and where I, I, I thought that was the best role Brendan Fraser ever had. I don't think he fit in movies like Crash, and I don't think and he was just too cart. Maybe I just didn't like George of the Jungle. It was too cartoonish for me, but I didn't like him in that role either. Um, so the mummy was a perfect mix of his humor. Um, yet a combined seriousness to it all. And, you know, for me, The Mummy, what made it fun was there was the humor, and, and it was very much an ensemble. Mm-hmm. And this, in some ways, felt like a vehicle for Tom Cruise, um, and yet you couldn't really fully get behind him because I didn't understand him. They kept saying that he, he there's goodness in him somewhere. I didn't understand what the goodness really was. 
Um, you know, and, and whereas they had the love relationship that never really blossomed in the way that certainly, uh, you know, Rachel Weiss and, and Brandon Fraser did. And so it just felt very surface level. We checked off a lot of boxes in terms of what makes an action movie, but I think we we put too much into it, whereas the original was adventure and comedy mixed together. But per- you're saying that's the original. The, the original is the Boris Karloff. Well, that's okay. the original. So I, I'm, I'm not going to argue say- that, but it, it, here's the thing. I, you know, you know, if, if you want to reboot it in such a way, then, then do it in that way. Um, regardless, this was... Regardless of whether or not I'm referencing the the nine the the two thousand and that version, this one was just a mess and it was boring. Literally nothing like even the final fight sequence, whatever you want to call that, was so anticlimactic. And when he stabs himself, you're like, wait, that she wanted to do that. So you're kind of left with, what the hell's going on? <laughs> the thing we're trying to prevent, you go off and do. This isn't the major like. If you want to take anything, and if it's paying homage, it's paying homage to the Matrix Revolutions, and that was Neo's <laughs> revelation that he needs to self-sacrifice right. in order to destroy, the, you know, to reset the Matrix. It's just, it, 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 I don't know. I'm sorry. It was a piece of shit. I mean, there, well, there I, were I think three the thing set is, pieces that were good. No, I, mean, I didn't but, even love the action. Even the, the big airplane scene, which we'll talk about. Like, we, there's a lot to talk about in production, so it's not just going to be... Um, a hate fest, I promise you that. But to that same token, like I appreciate the efforts they went to do this movie, but even the set pieces were it was just eh. Yeah. Go well, on, I mean, I, I kind of agree. Well, like this movie, I felt had an issue of trying to define what type of movie it was. Was it comedy? Was it action? Was it mystery? Um, was it a love story with romance? It, it had like too many different emotional beats to this film that I couldn't understand like what type of film this was. And also with the main character, um, with with Nick, I couldn't, I wasn't sure if I should like him or not because the way that they set him up, um, it, it made me think like, is he a bad guy or is he a good guy? Should we be rooting for this reluctant hero more so? Yeah, I mean. It- Look, they could have gone... They could have picked any one idea, okay? So, And if you're rebooting, right? And or and you're redoing this so that you can cross-pollinate your, your, your classic movie franchise, you know, they could have stuck with just one idea. Like, they could have said, okay, well, why don't we start off with how Prodigium started? Because obviously they set this up in the movie that Dr. Jekyll, all right? Uh, Dr. Jekyll uh, is, is, is hunting evil. Okay, so all right, so why don't we come up with a team of scientists? Like that would have been an interesting story. Okay, or all right, so Tom Cruise, whatever he becomes at the end, because personally I think he becomes quote unquote the mummy. All right, because this is the this is the character that's going to be the threadline in other universal horror classic horror movie characters. Right, so you have to have the mummy, you have to have Dracula, Frankenstein, creature from the Black Lagoon, and Wolfman. So it could have been that. It could have been like a myriad of things. They could have made it like national treasure-ish, which I think they were trying to go for. It never set up its own identity. And if you, this was what your kickoff is, there was nobody at the helm. And I mean like universal executives who like were shepherding this to say they weren't taking the time to figure out to craft this. You know what? I, I was thinking of... 
And, and there was nobody love. There, there was no love for the original movies. And I'm not talking the Brendan Fraser. I'm literally talking the Universal Horror Classics. There's a movie that came out in the early '90s, uh, written by Fred Decker and Shane Black. Okay, that the more I watch it, the more I really appreciate it because it got it right. It's called Monster Squad. And that movie deals with Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and the mummy who's in bandages. And it's basically the Goonies meet the Universal Classic Horror movies. That movie is done with such love and admiration for those characters. And it's got some horror in it. And it's got this Goonies kind of feel to it. It's a fun movie. I'm like, what? To hire them to do this movie because th- there's an appreciation for that and you can bring it into modern day. Um, I don't know if I was completely bored. The airplane piece, which we'll talk about, the, the ambulance crash, some of the underwater stuff, you know, it, it was fine. I didn't but fall it wasn't asleep. original. It is the, it's it's we've seen it, we've done it. Yeah. Um, and be, the problem is, it's not that. Again, we've seen it. We've done it. There's plenty of scenarios like that, but but we can talk about that we love the movie because there's an emotional impact to it all. And in this one, I felt that was missing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, you might as well call the the movie the Mummies because by the end you're like, oh, there's two mummies essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, I, I don't know. I to have Doctor Jekyll. One, that was a huge problem for me. Of like, you're, you're the guy who's. The guy who's going after evil things, he's basically the CEO of this corporation, is a monster himself. Is there not irony there? Oh, totally. And I think that was like the setup to maybe the another potential movie that's going to fall within this universe. Because I'm a big fan of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, that whole storyline. So I'm kind of excited for that. I think the movie did a good job of setting up this character and like, oh, this is someone we should be watching out for in the future. But I think the problem with this film is that they were banking too much on Tom Cruise. I think this movie has Tom Cruise in literally every scene. And I think that's, I mean, it can work for some films, but when you're starting off a franchise, I think you have to start it off with the story, not with the person that you have casted in the movie. Well, can we also talk about, like, you know, no, I didn't even, until I did this movie and until I saw it, I didn't know what the hell the dark universe was. That's brand like, new. Like, like literally, though, though about, that's literally brand spanking you. So I understand Universal did not set forth, like... They didn't put out there, even when they started to go into pre-production. I know that they've been talking about doing this, but this dark universe, I, they... It's only, yeah, the news is probably only like a month old. Maybe, yeah. And, yeah, and it's just a few weeks logo. old where they officially, I mean, they made this film before they realized it was going to really fit into a dark universe. They're trying to franchise. Like, yeah. Marvel's doing it, DC's doing it, like... That's how they get their money to start a franchise. So Universe wants their own franchise. This is the Dark Universe. Yeah, and they just released the logo uh, maybe three weeks prior to because there's a whole new rebranding going on. And if you notice, there was a brand new logo uh, at the start of this movie. We had the right. Universal logo and then the Dark Universe. And that's why I was like, it, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? And I agree. It, it just... It reminds me of, and it did remind me of Batman vs. Superman, where they threw everything in that movie but the kitchen, well, including the kitchen sink, 
because they want to let the audience know that this is going to lead to Justice League, like bigger and better things. And this is almost the same thing in there. But there was no education. That's why with Prodigium, like you were saying, I right there to me is that if you're going to do this, Prodigium is the group that's going to be seeking these this evil out, okay? That's a good start-off place, I guess, if you're going to make a Justice League Avengers, except in a horror movie mashup kind of way. Prodigium's the bad, you know, is I get it. Okay, so and 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 if you look at Dr. Jekyll, to your point, the irony of it is is that Dr. Jekyll is constantly battling Mr. Hyde. Uh, and and he's trying to he's trying to tamper that evil. So Doctor Jekyll knows what's out there. We should have had more of a history of that. Like if we focused on what Prodigium is doing and why, then you go from there. That sets up your story for the rest of them. So like then you or can have Dracula. I, I mean, here's the you, you know everyone cites Marvel as that, but you could also do it where you do have a standalone mummy, and then you go to like your Avengers. Is the prodigium, yeah. and then you go into that, and and so, yeah, I just, I just didn't like there was no education side to it of what the hell this is, and you know what I love about the it took a little bit of time to get there, but what I love about the new Marvel and DC logos is that you can see all the characters and things like that, like just even the logo of that mm-hmm. sets you up for what you're about to get into, whereas Dark Universe show some pictures of a mummy show you know like just in terms of a marketing aspect i i I thought it was a very poorly timed and failed effort Uh, like i i agree because a lot of people are still trying to learn what the dark universe is we just know that granted this news is still fairly new us being in the month that we are doing this movie like we know that johnny depp is going to play invisible man um, Russell Crowe is going to play, obviously, Dr. Jekyll for another film. And I want to say... Don't Javier Bardem is, yeah, is, Javier Bardem is also in, like, um, in talks to do another movie. So they have all these big-name cast members to do their own individual film, which will all fall into the Dark Universe. That's the only news that is released right now, only the fact that they have big A-list men stars that and, are going to be their own film. And, and then Universal made another big misstep by... Photoshopping each of these actors in a picture that made them look like they were all together in this one lounge type setting, but they weren't all together. So you have a picture of Johnny Depp, Javier Bardem, Russell Crowe, Tom Cruise. I may be be forgetting someone, Mm -hmm. but it got out that, yeah, this was photoshopped together. So that picture itself is sort of like a lie. It's misleading. All these people are signed on to do these respective movies nobody wants to take care nobody wants to take the time anymore you know everybody feels like there's a big rush where marvel well they they took the time i mean they just took the time by the time we got to avengers i've said this before there had already been like two iron man movie you know we had our captain america they don't want to take the time they want to throw everything at you and say this is what we're doing and that tends to be a problem um, all right, so let's let's also backtrack in terms of the development of this. Um, and even though it's not in our full notes of this, but like technically, Dracula Untold, and this is why it's still unclear to me what the hell this Dark Universe is. That was supposed to be the first foray into the Dark Universe, and that failed. So they're like, eh, sorry, that's not it. 
Are they going to do the same with this? Of like, eh, this doesn't actually part. It's not part of the dark universe. I think. Well, where do you draw the line in terms of you know well, what, we're starting? This has to be. I mean, because got they the logo. Did, I get well, it. And they did tout. They didn't tout so much as uh, Dracula Untold as they touted this one, but particularly within the last couple of months of, of publicity for this movie. This was this rollout was supposed to be. This is this is us mining. Because everybody loves the classic horror movies that are, that that we put out, and the Mummy was is to be the rollout, the kickoff for yeah. it all. Sad. Well, let's let's talk about the development of this because it, it is quite interesting in terms of how we got here. Uh, Mercy, want to kick us off with with giving us sort of a recap? Uh, yeah. So um, Sean Daniel, he had a, a history with Universe. You know, um, he he was the youngest production president um, since the studio began, which is you know fairly fascinating. But he produced the the most recent Mummy trilogies, and now um, he's an uh, an independent producer. You know, um, approached Universe like about four years ago, reimagining and rebooting you know uh, the the Mummy franchise. And he he was interested, so like he was the one who kind of started it off and put things into motion. Yeah, you know what I find you had mentioned. Um, well, uh, I forget if we actually mentioned him or not, but um, Chris Morgan, who's done the the various Fast and the Furious movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's sort of spearheading this effort for Universal. Now I can see why there's trust in him to do that, although I think two completely different franchises, right? Uh, and and so he's you know when you talk like I guess he would be the equivalent of a Kevin Feige um, from Marvel to Universal, uh, and he he's so he he's spearheading that effort in terms of being able to interconnect it. Um, Narrative he, architects. And <laughs> I think you need called. one. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna well, have you a, do. Yeah. You know, if if you're gonna look at that in that way, um, you know, then, then you certainly need that, but. Um, I, in some sense, I felt like just even hearing you name off the various writers, just too many cooks in the kitchen. Yes, and and I think it was you know we always talk about the collaborative thing, and we can talk about this more later on. But in this one, there didn't seem to be this one seemed to be not written by a committee. This one seemed to be written by ego. It's like well, Christopher McQuarrie had his ideas, right? David Kep has his ideas. John Spitzer. Tim Spates had uh, had his ideas, and neither one of them can say, "Well, listen, this is my idea. This is staying in. I'm Christopher McQuarrie. Well, I'm David Kep. I've written. A, this is my idea, and that's why I think we got like, so many ideas that nobody seemed to pick one. And I do say the failure really comes from the top. So if Chris Morgan is supposed to be the 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 narrative architect. I think there was a failure from that end to really hone in what they wanted. Because, look, they put a lot of work into this movie. It's obvious. When you have 50 sets, you have uh, three continents, 300 pound sarcophagus, uh, a million feet of film, which they filmed, you know, which a lot of work went into this, but they just seem to not be able to focus in on a story. Well, you were saying that there was a lot of writers who collaborated on this, and then it also changed the creative process changed when Tom Cruise actually got involved, because you know we know that he had creative liberties and a creative freedom on this film, too. So that also messed with the, the writing and the narrative as well. So a lot of things were changing 
in the midst of actually production. As the story goes, um, as soon as he kind of, yeah, as soon as he got in there, um, he had the writers beef up his screen time. Supposedly, I can't you know vouch for that, um, but that that's the story. And here's the way I look at it, right? Um, and for any movie studios listening, please, if, if this helps you, so be it. Uh, when you have a successful sports team, obviously you want all-stars. But the problem is, you know, as you're pointing out, ego, right? So your job as a coach, manager, or um, owner of that team is to really be able to manage those egos. Uh, so that way you go out, everyone gets on the same page, and they look forward to the end result. Well, in the case of sports, it's winning the championship, right? Sure. Um, in this case, you can call it box office numbers or the success of the franchise at large. Um, and so I very much look at that of, you know, when you say Chris Morgan, whether it's Chris Morgan or whoever it is, um, you know, head of Universal or who's heading up this dark universe thing, whether it's Tom Cruise or the writers, you've got to keep them in check and say, okay, hey, guys, these are all great ideas. Keep them coming. However, here's the greater picture. And so this idea does not work at the current moment, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Just keep it moving. I, I, I agree with you 100%, but I'm also going to add to that, too, because for the longest time I felt Fox was very similar. You have to have respect for your franchise. And this, what they made a concerted effort to go out and say is this was done for the love of the classic movies, the black and white the ones that were released in the 30s, the 40s, okay? And I mentioned Fox because... They had a huge problem with, like, their diehard franchise, which just got worse and worse and worse. And it was as if they had people in Universal now, too, who never watched a diehard movie in their lives making diehard movies and making and putting them in places where they have creative decisions. Okay, they needed somebody who had respect for the original monster movies and say, look, we're not going to make this in black and white. We don't have to make it a period piece, although why not? Um but we want to have, we want to pay great homage to that, and we want to harken back to that time. That way, it could have been horrific. You could have still maintained PG-13, and it would have been a great kickoff for this. But you need respect for the characters that you're doing these movies for, or you're going to make this new batch of movies for. And when you lose sight of that, then you lose sight of you can't handle the ego. You don't have because you don't have a vision. There's nobody who has a vision as to how this really, really should cross over and interconnect. You need that mapped out. You sort of kind of do. Even though you haven't filmed those movies, you need some idea. And this didn't look as if they had that idea. Once you get that, then you can dump it. Because now you have, look at Kevin Feige, right? How many people has he fired or let go what, you know, in the creative process, right? To your point. That's what you need. You need somebody who's strong that says, "Look, this is gonna. This is how this will work, and we'll make it work." But you gotta, you gotta come out swinging, obviously. Um, but when you don't have that, and that goes from the top, that's above and beyond Tom Cruise. Okay. Well, this, yeah, I don't, I don't, I put Tom Cruise in one of the people. You got to manage him. He's your actor for the movie, regardless of what yes. he brings creatively. He's still. 
a hired gun. Uh, right. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like when they hired Cruz, because he made this statement that he was a fan of the original Wolfman. You know, like all of those classic films. But just because you're a fan of them doesn't mean that you should have creative freedom to do the new version. Mm-hmm. It's like it, like all of us are fans of those films. You know, like we can say that, but that doesn't mean that that should give you the right to change everything just so it could build your character (laughs) because of the star that you are. I agree. But everybody said that they were a fan of this movie, right? But the one thing, the one thing that you have to understand too, and and I'm just a little Universal Horror 101, okay? At the time in which these movies came out, I believe Dracula may have been the first horror talkie, okay? I mean, we had silent versions of Nosferatu and and, and, uh, um, uh, Phantom of the Opera. When these movies came out, okay, they truly were horror movies. They scared the pants off of those audiences. People were fainting in the in the, in the in the theaters. People were running out, maddened and in shock and in terror. In fact, at the beginning of I believe it's Frankenstein, you know, a person comes out on the stage and says, "What you are about to see is going to be very, you know, it was almost like a pre-warning." And said, "Don't say I don't I didn't warn you." They like Frankenstein's really scared people a lot, and I get it. Time goes on, they they don't have the impact they did back then, but they're still when you look at them stylistically, they're beautiful, and they they are in a sense scary. So if you're gonna go back to that, and you're gonna cross pollinate, then look back to what made those scary. Why is the why are these why are these movie monsters so popular? Um, because they had impact on our on movies and, and, and cinematic history, right? So you got to do that. You got to pay attention to your core. And then that way, I don't mind a PG-13 horror movie. I understand you want to franchise out. You want to get everybody involved. That's what was so smart about the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. is because they, they, at least Steven Summer and crew, they had an affinity for it. And they said, okay, we're going to make it. We're going to make it a little bit horror, but we're going to make good action. And it's sort of kind of a B-movie. We're going to, like, Brendan Fraser is sort of like Indiana Jones-ish in mm-hmm. a sense. So that's where it was smart and fun. Um, you don't need to go smart and fun with this. But you did need more. I have a lot more focus. Well, I, wanted to, I want to talk about The Mummy specifically. And I don't want to, when I say The Mummy... Um, I mean the the Amotep, the the female. Impo- okay. Imo- yeah, yeah. Imotep. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the original. Amonet. 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 Um Because I, you know, um, when you talk about scaring horror of that nature, believe it or not, I felt she was highly underutilized. She wasn't, and to me, part of it was her mannerisms were basically from the ring. Mm. The, the, the little girl from the ring. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking. And that because that the movie, yeah. yeah, and because that movie's been parodied to death, we've seen it so many times that it just didn't scare me, and it didn't work for it. Whereas, you know, even even the Brenda Fraser one, as goofy as it, 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 there was just that presence, and I was really, I, I was intrigued because now we get a female version of the Mummy, and I wanted her to have that same presence, and I think she's a, a fantastic actress, and mm. I wanted to see her in this role, and. But but just not enough there for me. It felt so, again, just very surface level. And that, and that was kind of let down in that sense because it didn't feel horrifying okay. at all. I agree. Uh, like, I, I agree, too. I was actually, like, really excited at the prospect that we had a female antagonist um, because, you know, 
I think Hollywood's doing a good job of writing strong female characters now. Or like we're we're on the right side of history. So I was like really excited for this female character. Um, I think me personally as an audience member, I was kind of confused at her storyline because they built her up as an antagonist who was trying to who was just like power hungry, trying to take over, and then like killing this or killing quote unquote this man that she chooses just to embody power like i'm still trying to figure out the storyline because it switches when it gets to nick's character we're like okay he's the person now but what is her ultimate goal just to take over or just to have someone as a lover no well i got really confused with her storyline yeah i I guess the confusing part is um what ultimate like even though it's tom Cruise, like nick that sort of sets things in motion what's specific about him like because if they were to shoot nick Right. Can she just she she her, her her original quote lover died and she was able to find somebody else. So can she not find anybody else to sacrifice for for set regardless of who it is whether she loves him or not? So you know, so meaning like it could be like so Nick dies yeah, uh, so the first the, quarter of the movie then Dimitri oh, then she you're finds some, either, yeah yeah yep, die. You're just the you're next right. viable man. <laughs> yeah. It could have got again one of those many points. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you brought up the other point at the end of the movie. But you're right; it it doesn't make sense. You be- might be, oh, I'm interested, so, Anthony, the engineer. Anthony, yeah, all right, so check this out. You might be forgetting that uh, Nick was also cursed. So she was he he specific, uh, she specifically chose him and right. cursed him. So he, he couldn't die, even if he wanted to die. That's yeah, he was. Cursed. And also the whole the whole plot is that she was trying to bring back death himself. Like she made a, de- a pact with death in the beginning of the film, and that was a whole ritual where she chose her mate. At the time, for death to embody, and together they would rule the world, or hence whatever that was. So when Nick brings her back, she just gets her eye on on him because well she she resurrected, I mean he resurrected her and chose her chose him to curse him and hence why he's like yeah he survives I, the, pr- plane the plane crash, crash and, and everything else that gets thrown out exactly <laughs> I, I get that he's cursed and you know I'm not trying to make us sound dumb. Um, or perhaps, the, but but I, I just still think there's a lot of unanswered questions. And if you look at like throughout all of ancient, like in the, in the um, I'll keep going back to the Braden Fraser ones. You know, uh, they made a reference to it of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be something in this curse book to break this curse, besides cursing yourself further by being death and you know. <laughs> being the embodiment but, of death. Right. Yeah, but that's exactly what I'm saying. The fact that we were still talking about it, they didn't properly set up the story for us to understand what the hell she's doing. Mm-hmm. What's her motivation? I was like, I guess she's after Nick. He's cursed. Yeah, that I understood. But He's going to be the embodiment of death. To rule the world and be powerful, because the way they set her up is like, she was just the one who wanted to take over and not have someone by her side. Well, like, that, that's the just, trade-off she has to give, so I, I get that. there was a lot of plot holes with her story that I didn't understand her character. Yeah, she was gonna... It, it's sort of like Apocalypse, uh, X-Men Apocalypse, where he was going to rule the world as a god and that's what she was going to do. And this is, again, you bring up an interesting point, too, um, Phil, where you say that we've already seen this, this stuttered walk kind of thing from the ring, right? I think, too, because The Walking Dead is so popular, right? So we see these zombies and everything like that. So these mummies, the, or whatever they were, they don't... They, uh, what are they? Like, they, again, 
there was nothing that was fresh. I've seen it all done before. And they even took a plot line out of American Werewolf in London. With Vale, you're talking about? With, 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 with Vale. I mean, he's the Griffin Dunn. He's Jack. He's the Griffin Dunn character against Naughton's character who, who's like, listen, he's like, David, you're, you're cursed. Okay, and the only way to get rid of this curse is you got to shoot yourself or whatever, and then all of us can. And throughout the movie, he shows up in various forms of decay, which is dark humor, John Landis. But it was done better in that movie. And also, in this movie, his character actually yeah, disappeared his, for like well, ever. Like, also, his, when he appeared in this movie, it would literally break up momentum. I call Mr. Exposition. Yeah, well, yeah, very true. But there were moments when they're literally running. And, like, the whole sand mouth is chasing them. They're in the middle of the street, and, like, all this crap is happening. He's like, oh, dude, hold on. This is happening. I'm like, breaks complete momentum within the visual effects. Like, it just, his character, yeah, it was funny the first two times that he appeared, but, like, every single time he appeared, I'm like, why the hell are you here? But I will give him, like, that scene on the plane was sort of kind of creepy when he was, like, zombified and he's, like, t- trying to scratch into the, the sarcophagus. That was cool. But Sophia Botella, okay. And, again, I can't pin this on her. No, um, not by any means. She, you know, she said that she did good with what she did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the thing is, she was actually brought in before Tom Cruise was. And it was because of Kurtzman, who saw her in The Kingsman, which he was a great villain in The Kingsman, right? Mm-hmm. She was a really good villain in The Kingsman. Um and she's also going to be an atomic blonde, which she looks really good. I mean, she's she's hot right now. I mean, she's she was in there. Star Trek, um, be, you know, she was Star Trek Beyond. This movie, she's going to be a little bit later this summer. We'll see her again. So, she was just on board. I stalked, Kurtzman says I stalked her until she said yes to this movie. And um, again, I get why she would do this movie, and she was she was fine. I just wish to, to everybody's point here. She was given more to be more terrifying. And let's stop this. Here's the other thing, too. We have to stop this taking over the world. Okay? That's what makes it fun. Just be- <laughs> It's making it boring, though, and tepid. Just make it, I'm a monster, and I kill, and I'm scary. Like, we don't need to take over the world. Like, so what's going to happen with the Wolfman? He, too, is going to want to take over the world? Like, and then the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Frankenstein. Like, Stop with this. The Universal Monsters didn't want to take over the world. They had their own stories. And then when you get Frankenstein fighting the Wolfman, that's awesome, even though it's not the best movie, but it's cheesy fun. Uh, Stop with this. The mummy doesn't have to take over the world. So that's a plot one that's very very, very much abused. Interesting you brought up uh, X-Men Apocalypse because part of, in terms of the design for... um, for Sophia being the mummy, they very much didn't want her to be similar to that um, when they when they saw that little stinger. Um, yeah, I, here's the thing: I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know in terms of yeah. What what what? You know, you can make it a revenge. I don't know. Um, I don't mind the necessarily taking over the the world type of storyline. I mean, it's just it's an easy MacGuffin. <laughs> what else are they gonna do? Um, after centuries of of whatever, how about just be scary and and exacting death and mayhem and being scary, being horrific? I mean, if you're going back to the roots, that's what they were doing, you know. So, um, if we're caught talking a little casting, um, just to maybe again, we, all, all we're how we're talking about, what did you find? Uh, Annabelle Wallace, who was Jenny, you know. Um, 
It was really interesting because she actually went after this when she had heard uh, that they were going to be reawakening its monster universe, and she she knew the film was going to be set in London, which is where she's based, and so she got her agents on the case, and she met with Alex, and she just... Apparently there was an instant connection, so that's how uh, Annabelle Wallace uh, got in there, and she was fine. She was written... But (laughs) Whereas Rachel Weisz... I thought, like, she had that goofy nature about her, uh, right. and yet was always a strong character in whatever regard, whereas here, Jenny just gets so overshadowed by Tom Cruise that it, it just, it's hard for me to look at her in a serious way, and I don't, it, it's not, I don't think it's her fault, I think it's just what she had to work with, but I would like her to be a little bit stronger and where most of the discussion kept going back to the 15 seconds of lovemaking versus <laughs> not 15 seconds of lovemaking. It's like, okay, that can't be your biggest strength in being able to tell a guy that he's not that good in bed. Right. I mean, I think that really, I think she stood on her own, but yeah, Tom Cruise tough, definitely took every scene. But I think her character was really just there being bringing that information of this is what we've been researching, X, Y, right. and Z. Like, she explained the whole um, weapon dagger. I forget the name of it, sorry. Um, but she explains, like, if you put the gem together, then now Amina has all the power to take over. So, like, there she had her moments of exposition and building the story. Absolutely. Um, but her herself, like, I'm not sure if she was that likable. Um, she was she was alright to watch and but she's, she wasn't as memorable as what Rachel Weisz is with Evie because Evie stood on her own she had her comedic moments and even we saw the progression of Evie without the other granted this is only the first quote unquote mummy in this franchise but Evie in the the second film like her character grew like there was character growth she, she became independent she became strong she, she was fighting and I don't think Jenny in this character could do that. Like, I don't see a lot of character growth with this. Person. Yeah, well, again, I think, to your point, she's obviously a soldier of prodigium, okay? So, in a sense, she's she's exposition, exposition too, as uh, Phil called Jake Johnson's character, exposition. Um, and she's obviously a soldier of this prodigium. She works closely with Doctor Jekyll, and 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 she is the uh, uh, she, she's the archaeologist that goes out to 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 find the hieroglyphs, the maps, the the, the pieces of uh, the ruby that goes into the dagger. So uh, she tries to keep things from you know, she, and she reports back to Doctor Jekyll so that they know where if they're looking in the right place. I do agree. She just. The way that this movie was written, she wasn't given as much, to your point, the dialogue between, you know, her and Cruz. Like, there, was, there, wasn't, a, there wasn't a chemistry. There wasn't a spark. And, and again, I'm not going to necessarily... I can't blame... It just wasn't on the page. Like, if you don't have a spark on the page... Yeah, it, it comes up. Anyway. It's not going to... Like, your actors, as good as they are, if I'm not buying their dialogue together... <laughs> I'm not going to buy them together. I'll give them this. Here's... here's, I like the idea where um, the mummy tells her, I'm going to teach you what death feels like. Because, you know, uh, Jenny was initially curious of like, hey, what was that like? And I like the fact that she, in a sense, fulfilled that promise to her. 
but I don't like the way then the end result of it where sure. it comes about, and that's you know I I like the idea that that's what's kind of is is um is Nick's motivation is that he sees her she's dead and he, he wants to bring her back and all this um I just. It just wasn't executed in the proper way. Now, mind you, I'm glad in terms of an action set piece that this... No offense to Wonder Woman, I, I, I didn't love the end action set piece. And so I'm glad the Mummy Nick action set piece towards the end wasn't that. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. We need a little bit more something. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that like, if we're still on Jenny, like, her character can't stand alone by herself. Yeah, and, and people in the live chat there overall agreeing as well. Um, which, by the way, um, if you, even if you're listening to on demand, um, don't be afraid to comment. Let us know your opinions on on Jenny or anyone else that we're talking about as we talk about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, and then and then we go to obviously the other you know another star in this movie is Russell Crowe. Okay, and apparently part of the reason he signed on, apparently Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise have known each other for years. They've been friends, which makes sense. And they've never had the opportunity to work together. Um, so this is his opportunity. And playing Jekyll offered him, you know, with, with this split of good and evil. And and to me, I, I again, going back to, I like the fact that he's the Nick Fury of of the monsters because he's always fighting the evil within himself. So so that kind of makes sense. He's going to look for the evil in the world and try to uh, try to erase that. I like the whole idea of prodigium as well. Of uh, whatever that idea is, I wish we knew more about it. Like when it got started. Like is Doctor Jekyll immortal? Like has he been around? Like how long is how long has this been around for? That to me is where we go. And um, you know again. Russell Crowe is a star in his own right. Um, he was, again, he was fine. The fight scene he has with Tom Cruise, you know, it was a brawler. Uh, but again, I was like thinking to myself, wow, I, I bet, I, I, I hope, uh, he's probably thinking, when can we do Nice Guys 2? Because that was, I was hoping, because I loved that movie. I just want more of him in this, but I want more explained. Um, what well, did you think I, of that fight scene, by the way? It was a brawling fight scene, right? I, I thought it was super painful to see, you know, the hands dig under the rib because, oh, that's excruciating. But I, I think, like, Russell Crowe, yeah, he, he's a big name. He's a great actor in and of himself. But I think the problem for me was that because Jekyll and Hyde is such an iconic character, too, mm-hmm. and we know that Hyde is, like, one of the biggest antagonists in arguably this universe so far, it's just... That's such an iconic character that it took away from the mummy antagonist. I was yeah. like, who do I root for now? Or like, a who, uh, who's really the bad guy? Because we get a 20-minute sequence with Russell Crowe, and we forget all about the mummy. Right. It, it was, <laughs> and here's the, it, it was kind of, sh- the reveal of it was such a strange way to do it. Uh, because for a long time, Henry, 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 got to talk to this guy, Henry, um, Hi, this is Jenny calling for Henry, blah, blah, blah. And then finally the two meet. Hi, I'm Dr. Henry Jekyll. And you're like, right. Huh? Right. You, you just probably, and anyone who knows that sort of, you're like, wait, Jekyll as in Dr. Jekyll? Dr. The, and Hyde? 
where does this fit in? Yeah, right. and we we saw the the two moments where he was changing into Hyde. We're like, oh shit, it's about to go down because we know what Hyde is capable of when he's in the Hyde form. But also, even at the beginning of the film, literally the opening sequence when we get the whole exposition of what the hell the mummy's doing, we get the voiceover of Russell Crowe. Right. So they, I mean, I. I understand they're building up his character for hopefully another film because I am excited for that if he's going to be Jekyll and Hyde. But it, I it, I felt his character was too big. It took away from the main characters we're supposed to be following. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get a Jekyll and Hyde movie on its own because they have already have him in Prodigium. Prodigium, the way I look at this anyways, is that Prodigium is the focal point. Prodigium is where all these other monsters are going to cross-reference and, and, and crisscross into each other. You know, was I the only one who found it sort of ironic is that there was a line of dialogue uh, before the fight scene or something that said, um, you know, I'm a much older man than you are, you know, uh, younger. Yeah. And then it's like, in, in reality, Tom Cruise uh, is actually a couple of years older <laughs> than Russell Crowe. <laughs> in it's reality. Magic, yeah. well, it is movie magic. And actually, that's also sort of kind of a testament to Tom Cruise is that he has remained like he still looks good and it's not like he can't continue to do the action i don't see him as being creaky at all he's still able to do it and he does most of his own stunts even jake johnson said when he signed on board he was like yeah i hope you guys find a good stunt double to look you know for, for me and then, you know, as he started working, Cruz was like, yeah, I, sure, I, I quickly realized, starting to work with Cruz, that that really wasn't going to happen. He goes, I had to gallop on a horse. I had to do all his stunts. He goes, that was sort of scary for him. So in that regard, too, you, you know, we'll talk a little bit more Cruz, but you got to give him credit that he's still up for doing his own stunts and stuff. No, like and I think he's a great actor. I think there's a lot you can do with him, but um, you... In a sense, he's when you make a movie of this nature, this fast, um, you've got to have and and where it's going to fit into all these various pieces. Um, I don't know. For for me, you got to let him take a step back and not have so much. You know, take his input with a grain of salt, and be able to say, you know what, thanks, Tom. Unfortunately, we're not going with that route right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, as I said, everybody, everybody has to step in line mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. that that regard. Agreed. Um, you know, because, you know, the irony is, I don't even know if it's his movie. His name, you know, he's the marketing tool behind it, but ironically, I, I don't even consider him as the main character, really. Not fully. Uh, I mean, he, for me, but by, by, by script standards, he he's sort of kind of is, yeah, in the sense that, it's particularly at the end. But what has he learned? He what learned he self-sacrifice, and now he's this... That's the thing that I was confused. Again, my interpretation of the end is that he is now the mummy. I mean, he was veiled, in a sense, or bandaged, mm-hmm. right? We didn't see what he, quote-unquote, became. At, remember, he the was all in shadows, his transformation. Yeah. So, in a sense, to me, he's, you know, now he's he, he he's battling the death inside so it doesn't take over but he also has command over life and death he's able to bring jake johnson's character back i you know is to he me immortal now? so i'm I supposed to root for that i Can guess we bring back pre- people from the like okay i don't know like let's take a horrible act of any kind where people are murdered 
does that give him just like will he then save them because it was a horrible act hey I didn't write it I know I'm just saying this is it opens the door for so many weird things it does and that you're only going to save your friends like if if you have that ability um and yeah I just the ending line too sometimes it takes a monster to kill a monster of course Jekyll would be the one to say that because you are a monster I he killed himself. I, I agree. Uh, no, listen, I, I, I don't disagree with, uh, with with anything you're saying. Oh, well, but you know, again, what it took to make this movie, I, th- I did find a lot. I, I did find a lot of that very, very fascinating um, from a production design standpoint. Um, production designers Dominic Watkins and John Hutman. Uh, um, to keep this film as one that is wholly set in the real world, they built, catch this, 50 sets in Europe and Africa, from England to Namibia to France, and half of the sets were crafted at the historic Shepperton Studios just on the outskirts of London. So um, uh, they started months of photography in The Mummy at night, like just shooting pictures of historic places in England to get certain things down. And um, I appreciate that um and building these sets and the work that they took to particularly like these big tomb sets and stuff where they actually molded actual rock to make mm-hmm. fake rock so to speak and getting the the cobblestones and set that to me does sort of kind of give it that old classic feel although i wanted more of it um but yeah, I think that uh, stuff like that, like like ex- Shepperton Studio stages with more than 150 craft persons, their art props and set decorations department equal the small city on the studio lot. <laughs> I mean, so they spent a lot of money in there. Uh, you know, the, the, the stuff looked decent. It, it did. It just, you know, I, I, I'm amazed by the efforts that were put into this, and you know, we'll we'll continue talking about it more and more. Um, but in the service of not a lot, that's mm-hmm. that's that's the hard part. Is that they, you know, um, I would love to see all this type of effort be put into something just a little bit stronger, right? Um, you know, um, and I, I they 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 span across these various things. I mean, um, you, you talk, as you're talking about all these things, yeah, there's just such, such everything's on a large scale. Everything's built everything's to big. scale. Um, and so that's why, in a, in a way, you know, we, we, whenever people talk about this stuff, we've done various anatomies. Um, there's that joy of being able to, you don't have to imagine a green screen. You can actually see it, play right. with it, and so forth. And so it gives you um, a lot to work with. But at the, at the end of the day, it's got to be on the page in order for you to even go that route. I agree. And that's why, I, I don't know, if, like despite the grandness of these sets, it still felt so limiting in terms of the characters. Well, you know, prodigium, though, right? Mm-hmm. This, again, reading about this and learning about this, two levels, 15,000 square foot set. That literally, like, I remember Russell, there's a story Russell Crowe brought his kid into the set. And his Mm -hmm. kid was like, oh, my God, you get to play in this every day? And, like, again, Prodigium as its own movie. And learning about it would have been cool. And the the universal throwbacks to the Easter eggs, like, we had... 
from the creature from the Black Lagoon. We had the classic arm that they hid that the movie opens up with, that the archaeologists dig out of the rock. We see a, a, a skeletal feature of what looks to be a vampire, and then another one what looks to be a werewolf. Um, all these little Easter eggs that they put in there I thought were sort of cool. Like So to me, Prodigium was the coolest part of this movie um, that was never really focused on <laughs> enough in this movie. Um, but the set's pretty cool. It was actually two levels and 50,000 square feet. <laughs> yeah, you saw the vastness of it, especially like, the different angles when they filmed it. Um, we, we saw, you know, Nick and, and Jenny up at top just, like, sitting there looking down on the mummy. So, like, you saw how big it was to scale. What, what I liked about Prodigium, because we saw a lot of, you know, Easter eggs, you can call them, to the other characters that we know within this universe. I mean, we... Uh, uh, did you see the the hand of the black creature of the Black Lagoon? You know, there, there were so many things right. within this particular location that could set up the rest of this universe. Absolutely. But again, it was this movie's about the characters, not about what this place is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just in 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 describing it, it felt like it felt like we put a museum on film for a little bit. Right, as opposed to actually servicing perhaps the story. Right, Um, and I, you know, I have nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think you know, plenty of movies have gone through. You know, when when characters walking through a new new place that they enter upon, and they're sort sort of amazed by what's around them, and I I have nothing necessarily wrong with that. Uh, But yeah, just just as I mentioned, just even hearing oh. Dr. Jekyll just took us out it, it, it veered us in a way that we hadn't really been prepared at any given point up until it was a shock. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I don't disagree. I mean well let me ask you let me ask you to this. I'll throw this out to the audience as well. I knew going in that Russell Crowe was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I knew that. I just didn't, I didn't. know where no, he I didn't. F- I didn't know where that character was fitting in in this movie. So, I knew but, I knew Russell Crowe was in the movie, but you, and and he looked like some sort of um, important character that was behind the scenes. Right. I did not know he was Doctor Jekyll. Like I said, I didn't. You know, I knew nothing of the Dark Universe, nothing mm-hmm. um, except for what they were all showed me right in the trailers, right. And so I I didn't know that he was Jekyll, but I know the story of Jekyll and Hyde. I've read sure. it a few times actually. So yeah. now knowing that like the, the way that they introduced his character, my mind was like, oh crap, is he the antagonist now? Is the mummy like no one we should really be worried about? Um, but they set him up to a point where I personally am excited if they made a film based on Jekyll and Hyde. Um. At some point, they're just going to have to. I mean, literally, they they have to make a story about Prodigium and what it's all about. They they and and does because I believe the next movie in this franchise is supposed to be The Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. twenty nineteen. Right. So we're going to need a a, a scientist, okay, uh, and. He's going to need a lab in which to do this. Is that going to be in Prodigium, or is that going to? 
again, there were so many unanswered questions that what is prodigium? So um, I don't know. It's like, again, it's one of the misfires of the movie. Let me ask you this. What did you think of, um, because I actually thought, this looks sort of kind of cool. The Mercury Tomb. This is where Amonet's sarcophagus, where they yeah they they, they go down. I like that pulley uh, system. That was cool. That's, yeah, the I pulley mean, system was cool. That's some good engineering. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a new concept that I haven't really saw in right. all the other films, like the the use of mercury to to keep the body down. Um, I thought that right. was smart. Yeah. Um, visually, it looked cool, and I liked how that was kind of a, a through line for the the end and especially when they're in the prodigium and they're like literally physically infusing her with mercury like, that's yeah. cool yeah um it visually it looked awesome because yeah. i haven't seen that in a film yet yeah eight weeks eight weeks it took to build that sarcophagus set where they were going to take out the mummy and um you know it's uh believe the the back side of it is wooded framework Carpenters and plasters made the stones. Then the painters used many shades of grays, some matte, and other shiny. Um, they made, like I said before, they made molds of real rock quarry faces, and we didn't try to sculpt them. They simply looked fantastic. You know, the, a lot of the CG was used for the mercury, but it gave a good look. It Again, in any other them. movie, <laughs> you go, oh, this is really cool. I mean, it's cool on its own like that, but it just happens to be in this movie. Had you done it right, you're going, well, this is showing me something different and cool. Yeah, right? we, yeah, because I'd never, um, I'd never heard of that. You know, to Marissa's point, Mercury sort of being what keeps the evil in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I very much like that. And going back to an, uh, just really quickly, going back to an earlier notion, you would think that with two characters in this movie, two main characters from the Prodigium, that we would have a little bit more information. Especially Jenny, you would think would be able to explain to Tom um, from a, a much simpler way mm-hmm. what the hell's going on, but. Yeah. But I think that's also I think they're also purposely holding back information to keep us watching the next few movies that they're planning on releasing. You got to make us watch this movie first. You, you yeah. do, and 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 that and that's and that's the problem. Um, any one of those stories that I didn't mention before could have made a good movie, but if you are planning on this, you have to have your base. And to me, they're setting Prodigium up to be this this this, this secret society. Of of people who are hunting monsters, and what monsters are we hunting? We're hunting the Universal Classic monsters, and somehow they're going to come across each other, maybe fight each other, do this, do that. We got to keep How do them at bay. Even know each other, right? So thing? again, monsters exist. Like, and this is what I'm saying: monsters exist in this world. There's a group that knows that monsters exist in this world. And we got to hunt them out to make sure that they don't do any harm to the good people of the world. They don't necessarily have to take over the world. They're just, they're, they're evil. And that's why I go back to, go back to the Monster Squad. The Monster Squad and this amulet, it had this great feel to it. You had kids who were prodigium, but you had the kids who were Stephen King fans. And this is what I like about that movie so much. They were battling the actual, like the mummy was wrapped up in, in um, you know, in bandages and gauze. And the wolfman would come out of the, the, the full moon. You had a really evil Dracula. And you had a, a semi-sympathetic or a very sympathetic Frankenstein's monster. And you want to know the, the kicker of it all? 
Universal, when they caught wind of what Fred Decker and Shane Black were doing, they said, you can't, you, you can't call him the creature from the Black Lagoon. These are licensed properties. Dracula they can use because it's like Bram Stoker's stuff. Yeah. They, they had to call them something else in Monster Squad. And it was pretty much Universal who would kibosh any semblance of a sequel. Because mm-hmm. they tried to go to Universal. And I'm like, guys, I would rethink your strategy and hire Fred Decker and Shane Black. But I think to write I, something that's in your universe, you do it great. Well, I think like what Monster Squad did well. Also, another film that I'll bring up: League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. A lot of people like overlooked that film, but uh, I, I didn't like, overlook it. It's just not very good. Well, no. <laughs> let me make my point. Um, like those movies did a good job of infusing all these iconic characters together and making them work together to a s- narrative that made sense, <laughs> a cohesive sense. This one didn't because all these characters came in together like, how are they related? How do they know each other? Mm-hmm. Like those movies did a good job of executing this poem, this person's tattoo, another person, X, Y, and Z. Heck, even throw Van Helsing in there. That's also, uh, well, that's you know also universal. That was Dracula, <laughs> Frankenstein, and 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 the Wolfman put t- put together, but they all made sense when, within the storyline. Like this one, again, the Mummy. They need to work on how they all how they're all yeah. connected. I'm glad you mentioned Van Helsing because again, Helsing. it wasn't one of my favorite movies, but it was better than this. You know, it was more entertaining than this. Not a great movie. And, you know, to, for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that was based off of a, of a, of a comic book, too. So they had mm-hmm. a framework, right? Um, you know, and I know that they tried. Uh, they, they made the Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie, which is, which is a very mixed bag. They tried again with Dracula Untold. Um, it, it's just like, again, they don't have anybody who respects these monsters to give them their due because they are I don't mind if you bring them back they're classic creatures right there 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 was supposed to have been like in the works like forever creature from the black lagoon right you could do it but just do it wisely and smart and to Marissa your point yes there was a great cohesiveness how they interconnected and whatever they're not showing me how this interconnectivity is going to work um, exactly. And even Van Helsing did it better yeah. than this movie. And wasn't that Stephen Summers too? That was Stephen yeah. Summers. Because again, he has an affection for these characters. Like, but he also knows how to put different characters together for a one cohesive narrative. Right. Let me guys ask you in terms of because um, this this leads into we'll talk about the other action set pieces specifically the the airplane scene because we've been teasing that for a long time at this point. But part of the you know I, I've mentioned that the final set piece to me wasn't as grand and and as we're talking about it one of the things that where there's all these elements the fact that it becomes a one on one fight between Nick and her is a missed opportunity because in in, in the other uh, and just kind of most movies if you have multiple characters each of the characters is off doing something else trying to quote help this especially right. when the the uh, the outcome is save the world you might want to put a little bit of effort into it <laughs> right. I get that Jenny's dead fine for Jenny um, sucks for Jenny sucks She's for dead. Jenny yeah. she'll be alive I promise you that right. yeah. but nonetheless <laughs> It just felt like a that was a very much a missed opportunity where that's why the action set piece felt so cheap because it's 
so isolated from the rest of it that, that we can have multiple action sequences going on at the exact same time. Um, I get it. We only have one villain, but something to, you know, she had minions. She had all these things that we could have figured out a way to work into. Um, and I, so now all we're, you know, no offense, all we're really left with is this big plane sequence that everyone keeps talking about. My issue with it is I think the one in Mission Impossible by far outweighs what what it was. You know, I get it took a lot to do this. Mm-hmm. It took 64 um, uh, times going up uh, to, to really shoot it in the proper way. However, uh, I still look at the Mission Impossible. Was it Mission Impossible 5? Yeah, that it was, seems it was the most five. recent one, yeah. That to Where me he's was on a- the wing of the plane? It was right. a far better sequence. Uh, listen, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I agree. This sequence was... I, I liked... I enjoyed it, but they played it so heavily in the trailer. Like, they said, like... like It was as if that was going to be the set... Like, this is so heavily publicized, that, that scene. Where in Mission Impossible, you had so many other scenes that matched... Like there was an under there was an underwater sequence in that yeah. same Mission Impossible that movie that was thing. better than the than the underwater sequence here. And I thought the underwater sequence here, you know, as far as the set piece goes in this movie, was pretty good. Um, but again, when you can find it in better movies, that 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 tends to be there's nothing like you you were saying. There's nothing original. About it, I, it always it'll harken me. It'll harken you back to thinking of Mission Impossible. Yeah. You should make the set pieces so that people harken back and think the Mummy. Oh yeah, that scene in the Mummy that was awesome. It well, should stand out for itself. Well, the way you do that is I don't I don't mind as I've as I've said I don't mind necessarily that it's not as original. But what makes it original is the characters, the story, the motive. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, we we have a clip. That correct. we have a video. Well, yeah, we have a video to, that that actually it's a behind the scenes. Um, it's and it's pretty cool. They they show us the actual plane huh? in this that they used, and they show it at a really crazy angle. So rather like, than so, us talk about yeah. it and tell you, we're going to show you. We'll have Tom Cruise talk about it and tell you. All righty. So As go, if he's go here. right ahead. Um, whenever you're ready, Anthony. He said what the hell in this movie a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always thinking of All right. What's a tri-tat? Anthony, don't get technical on the people. All right, play from the start. Play from the start. We had a t- slight technical glitch, so we're going to play from the start. Sorry, people. Anthony was possessed by uh, something. What the hell? So right now they're just showing portions of the actual movie to introduce it, and now we're going to get behind the scenes. I'm always thinking of different ways to entertain an audience, and I'd had this idea uh, of creating a zero-g sequence for some time. When I read the story, I said, "Listen, I think this is the way to approach this." Tom said, "Yeah, we're going to do it for real. We're going to get on a real plane and we're going to crash it." And I thought, "This is just never going to happen." To really create something that is visceral and terrifying for an audience. Uh, that that was really the goal. Yeah. So we see uh, the various planes. And, and this is the There's a real physical challenge in doing zero G. 
was really developed for the Apollo missions. Some people cannot handle that kind of pressure on the body. We inject the aircraft into an orbit. You are in free fall, you are weightless. Whose sure signs are? A real set. I'm sure Jenny was like, excuse me? That's actually really gonna go 25,000 foot up and go zero gravity. Huh? We had 40 film crew and flight crew aboard that aircraft every flight. These guys know what they're doing. We are all feeling uh, hope going into it, which is exciting. Let's do this. I'm just right, going to so take you parachute. We try to get over yeah, exactly. here. Exactly. Boom. You're setting everything up. Physics. You can't beat the reality of what we've got here. Who knows what's going to happen on these tanks? Uh -oh. I hope your insurance is paid out. We're <gasps> trying to get a parachute on Annabelle. Can you can do this? You can do this. Zero G is exhausting. Yeah. We had 64 cycles of zero G, and within each cycle is 22 seconds to get this entire sequence. It's a dance. We want it to be wild and violent and spontaneous. Perfect. Yes. Good for the crew, buddy. Oh, 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 oh. So, <laughs> My stomach is like a butterflies. They look like they were having fun, though. I will give them that credit where they were somersaulting. Afterwards, you like, know, looking at Alex experience you, the footage. That was very satisfying. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so good. For an audience, it's going to be something you can't get any other way. This is what I love most about movies, to entertain that audience and to see that they're scared shitless. Okay, so, and, and again, I will say, like, especially when they're somersaulting, I was hard-pressed to go, wow, they're, they're being, that, 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 not wire suspended, mm -hmm. you know? And I guess, uh, I think earlier you said, is he good, is he bad? Like, his one good trait was is that he at least gave her the parachute. parachute. But and then later he that's negates... That's the definition of a man. Yeah, says, yeah. I but thought later, there were more. Yeah, he, he like negates that because yeah. it shows that he really wasn't a good person. Okay, yeah, so, so I, one of the other examples, um, since you bring that up, when they're, when they're leaving um, the site and she's like, you were going to leave me! And he makes... He acknowledges <laughs> nothing. Right. You were going to leave me! All right, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Like he—he's a very selfish man. Yeah. Um, and like I think for just a character trait, that's not likable. As yeah. You don't want that in your hero, quote unquote, protagonist. Right. You know? Um, but you know, just watching that zero G sequence shows that like how much Tom Cruise really wanted the scene because even the director didn't want it but shows how much power creative power that tom cruise has to say we're going to do this very expensive very high production value scene and he was the one who came up with the idea and i don't fault him for that i don't fault him for like wanting to do that and and entertain the audience and and again i think there's even more that goes into this thing too because believe it or not they actually built an actual plane set too. Um, it was twenty-ton steel frame cargo plane set was constructed and mounted onto a hydraulic base so that they can film not in three G, but at least get the rocking going back and forth. Um, the cargo plane set was built from the ground up, 
and special effects began working on the plane bill for 16 weeks uh, and then uh, and they had it on their own like gimbal and they said the first 20 feet of the plane matches the actual C-130 which I think is pretty cool and then they so that more effects and movement were possible uh, were possible the plane set interior is made slightly bigger than a real plane that size so um well they had to fit the production crew and the cameras and the cameras and the cast could actually slide from one side of the plane to the other side and so i think again when we always talk about collaborative and editing right Mm -hmm. so you're taking the the footage of the the zero g stuff right then you're gonna then then you're on terra firma you're on this gimbal and it's and it's putting this puzzle together to make this 10 minute you know, sequence, I guess, that you could say that starts from when the birds come in, right? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is, like, the movie magic, right? I think in any other movie, maybe you would have been more excited about this, but it was in The Mummy. <laughs> like, maybe, because the work put into it, there was a lot of work put into it, and the details looked fine. They did. It's, it could be know. exciting. I mean, yeah, I, I 100% agree, but you know whether it's Mission Impossible Five or you look at the the Dark Knight Rises, right? It's, of course, it's not. You know, it's just I agree. not that. I, no, yeah. I agree. I think the I'm production, sorry. the production and visual effects are definitely there. When we can see it on screen, and we can see where the budget went to. Sure. The, where I think this film falls flat a little bit, or does, or misses the mark, is the story and the mm-hmm. character development. Yeah. Um, Let's, in terms of, like, we've been talking a lot about the mind, but let's talk about her getting into costume as well. Sure. Um, quite a process. And um, unfortunately, the women suffer a lot in movies, but um, her of all, she, start, she had to be in there at three in the morning getting set up um, for all these various things. And uh, yeah, a, a lot went into it. Um, you know, and what, what I appreciate, whether it was about her or, um, or the makeup artist, um, or the costuming, a lot of effort went into kind of, okay, figuring out the backstory of, of Amanet, right? Right. And looking into Egypt and what symbols made sense for what and so forth and trying to trying to um, put those in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of effort went into there. Yeah, um, I, I like the, the fact that um, because of all the facial tattoos yep. and stuff... Um, it, because it looks different, it, the, the the tattoos are like raised. They're raised, from the skin. yeah. They're more embossed than um, Love like on on the the actual skin. Which like, if you look at the pictures and prom- promo pictures, you know, um, it looks cool, and you can definitely tell that they, they put a lot of work into the makeup. But and the, there was a, a lot of um, what we call the, the tattoo transfers that they had sure. to do individually on the right. face. I mean, that is time consuming. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, and they said, too, that it, it sort of helped, too, that she's olive-skinned. Mm-hmm. So they had to obviously come up with makeup that would go... Dead. ...and match <laughs> on her skin uh, as well. And, you know, she, she was a trooper. Uh, you know, she... She's being at three in the morning call time, just because you have to put on all that makeup and the, and the tattoos, when she finally became that character, um, she looked really cool. Um, even more so, I think, than her becoming that character. Like, yeah. like her final product, I thought was better than the other stuff. The other stuff, to me, it just looked like we've seen it sort of kind of before. 
uh, to your point earlier. Well, what I, what I, I, I liked her eye makeup a lot. And yes. in fact, it was um, it was a- Alex, the director, who said one of the reasons he loved her was she could communicate with her eyes in such a way uh, that, you know, no matter what you did with her, she was oh, those eyes were very piercing. Right. Um, that's not the exact quote, but um, paraphrasing. And I, I just love that about her because it was in that way. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing that, to be honest, I don't know if it's actually cool or not, um, but I applaud them for doing it, is the two um, pupils. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, the reason I wonder is because where I'm talking about her level of engagement, if you have the two pupils right. on, on each eyeball, it kind of takes that away a little bit her natural ability to be able to just pierce through you know into the image and it's almost like that's what made it so scary is that she pierces through the movie and into the actual audience right. not breaking the fo- fourth wall sure but, no but i know exactly right yes yeah and, and uh you know in terms of the horror elements like i i felt she actually brought as much horror as she could to the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, no complaints. Yeah, she did. Again, though, I'm going to go back, and somebody can correct me because I know we have a lot of horror fans who are listening right now, but I think that effect, too, is somewhat... Something similar was done in the original Species movie mm-hmm. uh, with Michael Madsen with the, with the, with the eyeball separates and we got two eyes instead of, like, the one. Now, she looked great in it. And Now, did you know that they had... Obviously, they had to do her suit, her jewelry, her costume, but they had to come up with 30 mummy suits so that they could outfit all of her stunt doubles and the stunt people. So, And then, of course, there's going to be damage. Uh, So they needed all of these backup suits. That's a lot lot of suits. (laughs) <laughs> to go through, but but it, uh, she's your main character, right? Yeah, but so. we had the costume designer here for 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 that triple X movie, who also said that they needed a lot of backup stuff for Vin Diesel, uh-huh. you know, in case something mm-hmm. ripped or you know during a stunt and stuff. And we, and we also saw that just the progression <clears throat> of the mummy from yes. her being like that that corpse like body to like everybody she was sucking to get the life back. We saw that slow progression of her becoming a full fledged human ish. Mummy, mm-hmm. which I liked, and so we did have different looks. Throughout. What happens if she doesn't fulfill her promise? Do we ever figure that out? Does she just live a happily a life happily ever after without set? <laughs> yeah, you know, like what, what's at stake for her? Where, like, take uh, Hocus Pocus, right? Uh, <laughs> simply because they have to suck the lives out of children, but they have till the morning to do it. You mean if she doesn't fulfill, come yeah. become the mummy, so to speak? Like, yeah. if she doesn't suck enough lives? Well, if she doesn't suck enough lives or she doesn't fulfill the She's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. What, Anthony, what, do, you, do you remember? Did they bring this up in the movie? No, I was actually, like, thinking about that myself. But, like, that is very true. Like, literally what was, like... What's at stake for her? The most, like, <laughs> cruelest thing that could have happened to her for not completing the ritual happened to her, for, like, not even because she didn't complete the ritual, but more because of what she did with the, uh... Because oh. of what she was doing, you know? So she like couldn't her, take over the world. Yeah, or? like she she met her cruel fate because the not because she didn't complete the ritual, but because she was doing the ritual. But that's what exactly what I was saying earlier that her there were so many plot holes to her right. character. Like, what was her motivation behind it? What's the result at the end? And the fact that it switched from her first choice, man of choice, to now Nick, 
Like, what happens? Yeah, I guess she was definitely just like, used more as a device rather than a character. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just didn't understand her character and her and her mission. Yeah, that's why, again, I think I was going, this was more of an origin story for what Nick became. Because obviously we're not going to see this character again. Sophia Batella's character. No, she did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, yeah, <laughs> she's dead. Um, so that was another problem I had. Because at the end of the movie, I'm going, okay, so you just had me sit here for two plus hours. It was about two hours, a little more. And basically, you just set up an origin story for Nick, and it literally happens in the last two minutes of the movie. Like, I, like the mummy, she, it, like, she's not the character she's now. The no. And so for two plus hours... Oh, he's the character we're going to be following. Okay, that makes sense. But I will give Sofia Botella credit because she, she she was able to bring her dance skills to the role. I mean, that's what she studied in dance, and then hence the staccato way of her walking. And, you know, uh, she was able to stretch out and do a little more. Again, she was perfect. If you were going to have a mummy movie and have a mummy character that's going to you know, go into other monster movies, they should have... Again, that's another... They could have just stuck with her, mm-hmm. right? Like, she could have been the evil. Just scale it down. Don't have her so she takes over the world. She's a mummy just set on vengeance and killing people, and then she's the one we have to hunt down, and she gets into a fight with the wolf man or something, or, you know, again, well, we'll well, so many different ways we could have gone. Uh, let's move back into the production side of things. Let, let's skip over to visual effects. Sure. Um, because even though you know we're, we're taking over the world and it's a little far-fetched, nonetheless, uh, they wanted to ground things in reality as much as they could. Um, and so they had to rethink how they did certain things. Um, you know, so Some of the tricks that you normally do, whether it's um, skip framing and stuff like that, um, you know, while it was be- some of it you could employ, uh, there was going to be a lot of new techniques that, or or more complex techniques, let's say, that they would have to employ on on some of this stuff. Um, and so, you know, that was their challenge, if you will. Um, as they cite, uh, one of the real challenges is the extremes of Am- Amanet are, right. are are so far apart. Um, that we have to make a lit- logical progression without adding huge leaps. One in which the audience wouldn't recognize the mummy from stage to stage. Our biggest visual effects task and a real tightrope walk has been to make the steps between different departmental stages not so huge that you feel like you missed something. It had to be seamless. Mm-hmm. A lot of effects went into this, too. And they used some old gags. Like, you know, they, they, they filmed people walking backwards, so mm-hmm. to speak, to have them go forward. So a lot of classic, old-style technique coupled with modern-day technology, you know, it looks good. Again, I, I can't necessarily complain about the special effects outside of they never really looked unique enough where... One could say, oh, yeah, that was from The Mummy. Yeah, but I also, you know, unlike, I don't need the most groundbreaking visual effects when it comes to The Mummy. Hmm. I'm looking for horror adventure. Right. You know, and um, as long as the visual effects service that, I don't need it to overshadow that. 
Right. Yeah, I thought the mercury, you know, dripping um, looked pretty cool. And we also got the the sand face, but it's not really sand. It's more like city face. (laughs) All the materials out of the city. Um, Right. Well, that's like... That became an iconic visual, you know, thing from the mummy, the from 1999's version of the mummy, which they also repeated in the second one, Return of the Mummy. Um, but that was out of water. That was cool. But we got that in this film again too. Not original, but still looked cool because this is her version now. I guess, like to me, they the Brendan Fraser mummy made that. That was like the iconic. We had never seen that before, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the mummy scream. And then when they go back, they they up the ante because it was in water. water. But what was cool about that scene too is they were escaping it from a plane, so they're firing bullets into the water. Like it, it was, it was doing again. Mm-hmm. They did a very cool effect for something that was. They up the ante from the first movie in the sequel, right? Again, I just my argument is if you are trying to set yourself apart, make yourself original. Don't refer back to, you know, in your in your going out saying this is paying homage to our classic universal monster movies. Don't put something in that's easily identifiable to the earlier mummy movies that you that you made. And Again, it's all universal. It all comes down from the top. They just give me something new and exciting to look for. Give the mummy its new identity so that when I see a sequel or if it comes into it, if it comes in play in another one of these horror movies, I can say, oh, that's the mummy. So. And that's what, what I'm <clears throat> saying is to have a female mummy. That could have been it. That, yeah. I agreed. That she was, was your like, end. She's that it. was your end. It was. She would have been fantastic as that role. Uh, that she escapes evil. She escaped. And again, if you're going from... I'm going to pro- cut out the word again from you? your vocabulary, yeah. by the way. Oh, sorry. Well, also, but... but Just for your own benefit. Thank you. Wait, wait, what word? Again? If you're going to update the franchise and make it 21st century, make it a woman. Because we see so many mummy movies now. They're all men. Like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, whatever. But if you want to update it and make it cool, make this mummy stand alone, make it a woman, because we haven't seen that. If Prodigium is hunting a mummy down, she was the character to go with. Absolutely. It should have been it should have been her, if we're talking about the mummy, not Tom Cruise, who I guess it's now is sort of the mummy. Um, so, Which is weird, because now he's going to play a good guy but a villain at the same time who knows and that's not Tom's MO like why yeah um alright so kind of as we go forwards and backwards forwards and backwards with production and story uh, in terms of the editing apparently according to Variety uh Tom Cruise brought in two of his friends um Andrew Modsheen um uh, to work with Paul and Gina Hirsch to lock the picture. Uh, and in addition to that, Cruz spent a lot of time himself in the edit bay. Um, you know, I'm not the person who coined this, uh, but I call it cruise control. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fitting. Well, I want to ask you is, 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 do you, just from hearing these various things, and um, towards the bottom of the rundown, I have a whole thing from whether it's Variety or Hollywood Reporter and so forth, that, you know, there's a lot of articles in particular coming out 
in the past two days, let's say. Past 24 hours. I think the variety yeah. uh, thing you're referencing came out yesterday morning. I have mm-hmm. that on, on, on my, 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 my rundown. Yeah, but, so, I mean, you know, is this a matter of cruise control? And is it good or is it bad? Because as I'll kind of quickly just skip ahead, ironically, this is the biggest global debut of Tom, Tom's career. So how do you weigh that? Is it I good? Think, is it bad? I think the timing of it, uh, like this information coming out that Cruz had a lot of control over this, is interesting um, um, because the movie didn't open up, and we'll get into numbers, but the movie didn't open up to what they expected it to be. Domestically. Domestically and like just for the overall production. So it makes it, makes it interesting that the fact that because it wasn't as successful as they thought it was going to be. Now they're releasing all this information. It's like, oh, Cruise had a lot of control over this. It, it feels like they're kind of blaming Cruise oh, it's for the a, creative. Oh, kind of. Yeah, but like it's also the timing. Because they didn't do well, now they're placing the blame on Cruise because he had too much control over it a week later. Yeah, it's a definitely a finger-pointing game. Yeah. And they're... I, we always talk about the collaborative effort of mm-hmm. movies... Whether it's a success or whether it's a failure, it's a col- it still is a collaborative effort. And there are some people that you can point to, whether it's a success or a failure, who may have had more to do with it being a success and or a failure. But we did talk about it at the beginning. I can't blame Tom Cruise for this wholly. It, as an actor and as a star, the movie may rest on his shoulders. He has certain ideas. But I go right from the minute that the movie was greenlit, right from the minute that they had a script, it shouldn't have even gone to Tom Cruise at that point. Somebody should have said, well, listen, we have a great idea. We have great characters. How do we utilize them in today's world? All right, well, let's work on a script. Okay, that's not ready. Okay, we can't do this, can't do this. It all comes from the top. And then once you get Tom Cruise involved into it, it's no secret how involved he gets into making his movies, but you got to control him, and that, that yeah. you know, yeah, even though it's collaborative effort, at the end of the day, there's to me, there, there's that central focal point that says yeah or nay. But he's a very collaborative. I believe again, I don't work for Tom Cruise. But let he's, him, I'm not on his payroll. I don't. He doesn't owe me money. He likes. We we talked about The Rock a few weeks ago with Baywatch, right? And we talked about when you put him and when you hire him onto a movie. You have an amazing asset because whether the movie is good or bad, he's going to A, work hard, B, he's going to go stump for the movie. Tom Cruise has always been that way. Whether the movie is good or bad, he's going to work hard. He does try his best to put the best entertainment forward, and then he's going to promote the hell out of it. He'll go wherever you want him to go. He realizes it's his job. I do believe that he's still an asset. To blame him wholly for, no, you let him. Like you said, you let him take charge of this movie when somebody should have said no. And if Tom Cruise at that point says, okay, I'm going to walk, then you've got to make a decision to say, okay, buddy, creative differences. Yeah. Right? I I, I don't know how hard that is. It could be very difficult. It could be, but if you're creating a dark universe, it's not going to have to... What you're trying to make is the characters and the entities stand out more so than the people. Right. And so, you know, although I hated it from Batman Begins to Dark Knight, 
uh, the character of um, uh, whatever Rachel, right? The character of Rachel, she, you know, it went from Tom's former wife to to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, right, right. And right, it right. was still able to stand on its own. And so, you make the franchise. If this is what you're going for, you make the franchise greater than the sum of its parts. And so, if Tom decides to leave, the franchise does not hinge on Tom. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It, it, it certainly shouldn't if you're if you're already planning movies down the line. But that's the problem with this movie. It's completely hinged on Tom. If you take him out, what do you have? Well, but but I think what, 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 where we're going with is that that's Universal's choice, mm-hmm. right? And as you know, to that point, I, I whether it's The Rock, and I'm glad you brought brought him up. Whether it's The Rock, whether it's Tom, and certain other people. Bring everything, you know. I always, Marissa knows me when whenever we do staff meetings, bring all the ideas. Now, whether or not we're going to go with all of them is a whole separate story, but bring them because I'd rather have that. Wouldn't you? Exactly. You would want that collaborative effort because there's a part of that same article that you're reading where they talk about Kurtzman and they said that Alice Kurtzman wouldn't necessarily rank high on a studio's wish list, you know, for a project this big. And I, I say, I, I say nay, nay. Because we have talked about this, I know I have talked about this since Godzilla, since the hiring of Gareth Edwards to do Godzilla. Like, this guy did a movie, Monsters, beforehand, and then they give him the keys to this, which they're going to, Universal now, they're going to put into Skull Island and King Kong vs. Godzilla. You know, we start with Colin Trevorrow, who did Safety Not Guaranteed, and then they give him Jurassic World. They're, they're, Hollywood is going to directors who have done smaller things. I mean, Captain America movies, the, the, the two people who are uh, been directing the last two movies came from TV comedy. So they're yeah. giving directors, they're giving directors who've done smaller projects and they see a vision and they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to have faith in you. But part of the reason they do that is because there's a little more Control, creative control that the studio can have over them. You put Kurtzman, hiring Kurtzman just made sense because he did this one small movie, People Like Us with Chris Pine. You bring him in. Right? But it's also, he's not been unknown to movie. You know what I mean? As a writer producer, yes. But for directing. I get it. The craft is different, but you know you're still surrounded by. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I I don't want it to be lost that he's like, oh, no, he's no, just no, one no, no. project. And that's no, it. no, I understand. Patty Jenkins but, did one movie, and then it took her years to do it, Wonder Woman. Exactly, but you know they gave the keys to the car to the Ferrari here to a person who'd only directed a, a smaller movie. I don't I don't begrudge them that. I don't. I don't even place the full blame on Kurtzman. You know, as far as his horror chops, he could have done better. But if you are going by committee and everybody's inputting, and then you have Tom Cruise saying a yay or nay, somebody's gonna actually step in and say, "Guys, we got to take some time. We got to. We have to fix this because we have a bigger idea. We have a bigger plan going. We have a bigger map to do." And I think it's a, picture. I think they got to find the map first. I think it's been torn to shreds. Uh, Marissa, give us the numbers. Uh, <laughs> you want me to do the numbers? All right, one second. As I keep this up. 
for Marissa, reading numbers is like hiring yeah, a Yeah, this, this is going to be fun. Uh, so for total lifetime grosses, as of June 12th, we had uh, 34259000 So like give or take like a, a couple. So it's around like $35 million. No, actually, it's domestic today is 40 yeah, 40 so d- domestic, domestic is, is around forty, but worldwide it's like one hundred seventy-five, hundred eighty million. Yeah, worldwide foreign, uh, one hundred forty million dollars. So it's seventy-seven percent of its take. Yeah, one hundred eighty-one mm-hmm. million all in. So it's kind of doing well internationally. Um, Huge. And and also <laughs> like the storyline does take place in London, and you have the whole Egyptian culture within it. So it is a worldwide type of story. It. Phil, you probably remember. Well, we, we did. Well, we all did. Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about how there seems to be this sort of shift into making movies for the international audience because Pirates falls into that. Remember, I, I believe I said that that take was like seventy nine percent of the gross came from international, and people saying domestically, uh, this last Pirates movie didn't do that well. Well, this movie, when you have. Uh, 181 million so far. It does prove of the international bankability of Tom Cruise, right? They could ultimately say, well, we broke even. We can try to continue with this with this dark universe. I, I think, number one, they are going to continue with the dark universe. They have, they have to. They, they can't. They have too you much have to at stake. You have to fall on your sword a little bit. You have to try to right the ship, but you have to fall a little bit on the sword they at the moment. They set themselves up. They another. set themselves That's up. That's the thing. Uh, and they didn't give themselves an out. No, not at all. You know, they didn't. Again, with Marvel, Marvel hinged on Iron Man. And if Iron Man did not work, we wouldn't be coming into another Avengers movie. So they didn't let their first movie work. Mm-hmm. It's it's you put poured too much money into it. Well, you can even say like X-Men even though it wasn't quote a Marvel movie, it's it's a Marvel comic and and that worked. So, you know, things were on the right track for these superhero movies to work in terms of the universe, I get it. it uh, Iron Man had to work that could set up then that that universe, yeah. and don't forget uh, another movie to, to look back at is this movie called The Golden Compass, yeah. which New Line Cinema poured a ton of money into this because New Line, instead of focusing on making one really good movie that we could finish and continue, it's not going to happen. Now I'm bummed. Like, here's the thing: that was the terrible movie, but I'm bummed because I'm, I love the books, and I'm like, at least. What the hell? You set me up. Right, the books are good. I want to finish it. And look what happened to the Divergent series. Yeah, that never finished either. It's not going to finish. It's not going to finish. And I know that they say that they want to finish it on TV, but I haven't even heard of anything like that. And well, certainly, Shailene Woodley is not coming back to that. No, but make a good first movie, and. Then the rest will follow. The rest should follow. It'll all fall into place. You know, but you've got to focus, especially if you have so much hinging on this. And there was a lot hinging on this. Well, and they say that Universal could recover, but Bride of Frankenstein has to be really good. Well, so those people have pressure on them. Right. Well, also, like, they created the Dark Universe before they technically released the first one. I mean, for for Marvel, you had the individual movies 
and then they were all successful. Then they decided to put the umbrella at Marvel Universe. Yes. You know, like the X-Men movies, they came out before they were really part of the Marvel Universe, yeah. you know? like they, they made the movies first. Yep. Then they were successful. Mm-hmm. Then they put it on an umbrella. What they what Universal did with this, they they created the umbrella first, and then unfortunately all their you know things didn't start well. A similar argument could be said about DC. It's because yeah. they don't want to take the time. They want to get to where Marvel is now, and let's not let's put the and they want to get there yesterday. Cap. And they want to get there yesterday, and they want to and they think that they can reap the benefits of that instead of. Like where are they going? That's my, what is the rush? <laughs> where are you going? Just make the good movie, make another good movie, tie it all in. It, at least they're doing that with Godzilla and King Kong. You had the Godzilla movie, which you know I, I enjoyed it. It didn't, it wasn't fantastic, but it was pretty decent. We like Skull Island, yeah, Skull right? Island a lot of good. fun. And now we know that King Kong and Godzilla are gonna like fight, and they're building this. This kaiju universe, but they're they're taking their time. They're not throwing them into a movie before we get our individual movies. Mm-hmm. I, it's smart. I think King Kong's universal property too. Yeah. Well, the good news is a lot of people agree with us. Seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, B minus on Cinema Score. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, in terms of the overall, it says um, uh, that. The narrative is shoehorned with plot points setting up a dark universe. It's lacking the campy fun of the franchise's most recent entries and failing to deliver many monster movie thrills. The Mummy suggests a speedy unraveling of the dark universe. So, yeah. And just... I I tried to find a good review. It was... I I didn't find one. Unraveling before it begins. There are some on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, let me ask you this. When you went to go see the movie, was it A, crowded? Did you see it in an IMAX type of format? I went on, uh, uh, I went, I started on Thursday, and I did see it in XD. The theater I was in was, it was a packed house. Yeah. Um, looked good on the big screen. Well, I will give it that. Um, the audience was very meh in reaction and coming out not you know you can sort of feel that how about you you folks i went to a a normal screening like on a saturday and uh it was fully packed i got one of the last seats did you yeah i don't think i i got probably the like the third to the last seat so a lot of people saw it yeah how about you phil like did you have a Uh, big crowd it was a decent crowd you know i mean it was the weekend it was a decent crowd um, I think people were coming in to enjoy it, but they left dejected from what I remember. Agreed. There was not, in this particular movie, there was not the uh, the energy. Once the lights went up, people... People were walk. People were just out the door. And even, even, even you know, one of the things I ironically disagree with uh, th- there's a couple people that stayed, and Anthony wanted to stay because he's like, "Oh, what if there's a what if there's a credit thing?" I stayed for that too. And uh, Alex came out and said, "Like that's a Marvel thing." <laughs> well, mm-hmm. okay, you used everything else that you could to try to make like. Listen, 
in this scenario, it would have probably been good to have a teaser to explain what the hell is actually happening and where we're going. Or set up for your next film. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be a Marvel thing because the Pirates of the Caribbean movies have been putting buttons on movies since the first one. Yeah, the first so, one had thing, and that was before all the big. That was big before. Marvel movies. Listen, movies, movies even before Marvel. <coughs> you don't have to call them teasers, but you go back to um, like, like heavyweights. You know, they had the whole thing, and then <laughs> they would come back, and then and then Ben Stiller's character is a salesman after the credits. Just a funny little bit. Just just so for the people that enjoy the credits. Just a nice little button. So it's not a freaking Marvel thing. Right. Yeah. And that's just one example of hundreds. Yeah, right. admittedly, I stayed for the credits because knowing it was a universe, we've gotten conditioned to knowing that there might be something at the end to look forward to the next film if we know it's going to be franchised. Yeah, I thought I did too. And then when it I didn't told happen, Anthony, I was let's like, get the Ugh. hell out. <laughs> when, I, when I left, I was like, more time wasted. <laughs> Must go home. Um, I did find a, well, a fresh, but I was reading it, and the fresh goes, not terribly terrible or terribly good. It is a terribly all over the place to start the Dark Universe, but the ideas were there. They just need coherent forming and not throwing together. Clearly a fresh review. Terribly all over the place, that sounds like a backhanded compliment. Um, all right, so um, let's let's start wrapping this up. Final thoughts. We'll start with you. <laughs> wrapping <Marissa>. it up. <laughs> oh, pun um, unintended or intended. However, I you get prefer. where they're trying to go with this franchise because me personally, I'm a fan of like Doctor Jekyll and you know and like the the Werewolf Man and uh, and all these original stories. I'm I will see the next film that comes out for Dark Universe. Granted, I won't base it on just this one film. Unfortunately, that's all we have to go off right now. But I'm hoping that the second one will be better, more stronger, more coherent and cohesive than this one. Uh, Dimitri, yeah, I, you know, the movie was a mess. It's not. It was not a. It was definitely a misstep. If if you're kicking off a, a new universe, uh, I just say pay more homage and pay more attention to your classics and what made you popular way back when, and have some respect for that and go forward you really need to make the bride of frankenstein like you need to make it excellent and to me the bride of frankenstein is such an amazing classic horror movie uh, because from a story structure standpoint it's near perfect that's would not have been my first choices of movies to, to go back up. to the well to because the original has never been remade really mm-hmm. it's been mocked you know young frankenstein things like that but i may have gone another route because uh, that's very very big shoes to fill indeed so good luck <laughs> i'll be there i hope it's good so um, well, i don't know we'll, we'll see i mean yeah it's. I, I want to say this. When we go on the the interaction I have when I go to movies, I don't ever want a movie to be bad. But unfortunately, with, with it, just it, it, sometimes it gets tough when they take that trust away from you. Um, and in this sense, you know, um, there was I had I, I will admit I had a slight reservation based on the trailers. Um, 
I actually think I was one of the people that that saw the uh, the mishap trailer. Did you guys read about where? It, no, yeah. there, there was a trailer that came out where it just had um, the the sound effects of like Tom Cruise's grunts and things like that. No music whatsoever, no actual stuff. And I think I remember seeing it at a movie theater and be like, "Oh, this is an interesting trailer." It's the Mummy's Curse. I, I <laughs> yeah. saw that trailer after the fact on YouTube, but I, I do know. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. So, so maybe that's what kind of just started the train of interesting uh, for me. And but it, I, I just feel felt so dejected because I, I do. There's so much you can do with it. I love Egyptian history, like whether or not right. We we talked a lot about Universal and so forth, and monster movies, but just Egyptian history in in general is so rich. The same way, whether you're talking about um, Greek mythology with Wonder Woman, there's a richness to it, and it just captured none of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know where this is going, and so may, may, we'll I, please, may I please throw one question out to to uh, to you folks and to sure. our audience? What do you think? What would you like to see? Going back to the classic Universal horror movies, to your knowledge of who they are, what they are, what would you like to see brought back? To life, like what would you like to see them redo? Well, I'll, I'll give you an answer right now that's already in there uh, from from one of our commenters. Um, Wolf, they, they uh, uh, he in particular wants Wolfman, but he wants it to be a horror drama. Certainly not not anything near action. Right. Well, I, I wonder what that person thought of the Benicio del Toro because I believe that's what there, they were going yeah, there with. There was a Wolfman, right? There just was a, a few Wolfman. Years ago. Joe Johnston, in fact, the, the person who directed the first Captain America movie. Um, had directed it. Um, well, what about you? Or, or who's your favorite Universal monster? I don't know. I love Dracula. I've seen so many iterations of Dracula. Um, so, like, I'd be excited if, if that happens. Hell, even Bela Lugosi, that terrifying as that film is, it's great. Um, I, yeah, I'd be open for a Dracula. But if you want to learn more about Amun-Ra and, and uh, Amunet, <laughs> yeah, Amunet, but, like, go watch Penny Dreadful Season 1. It goes uh-huh. heavily into Aminette. So and check like out it, Marissa on AfterBuzz TV as she recaps that show. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you want to learn more about Aminette, like that, the whole season one is all about the Egyptian um, stories mm-hmm. behind it. It's fascinating. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, that about does it for us. As we said, uh, please let us know uh, your comments. Um, we posed a lot of questions to you guys, so by by all means. Let us know, and, and you know what? Uh, we didn't necessarily enjoy this movie, but that doesn't mean you didn't have to. So if you actually did enjoy the movie, uh, very curious to know your take. Don't worry, we won't attack you. That's not our. That's not what we do here. We 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 accept and um, appreciate varying opinions. That's after all what makes movies just so much fun. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we didn't enjoy it, uh, unfortunately, and, and we're skeptical of what's going to happen. But nevertheless, we'll look forward to it. Um, until they fool us otherwise. <laughs> um, thank you guys as always. I wish we, uh, we have a lot of shows that we've done in the past. Um, wish we could say we've done um, various monster movies, and we have, but just not of the universal ones. Uh, but definitely check out some past um, 
anatomies we've done. Uh, Chris Morgan, he's done the Fast and the Furious franchise. So if nothing else, check out those. Yep. And in the meantime, at Serafini TV. That's right. Check out Penny Dreadful because Marissa not only did do the after show on Afterbus TV for it, but she also got to interview a lot of great stars as part of that after show. That's so great. a lot of great behind the scenes there. At D Movie seventeen oh one, correct? At D Movies one seven zero one. Um, and uh, absolutely thank you guys for joining us as always uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline whether that's Baby Driver whether that's uh, Spider-Man Homecoming um, Thor Ragnarok uh, Cars 3 uh, uh, Atomic Kitten um, so many Atomic Atomic Block she makes me purr what can I say alright guys we'll see you that's next time awesome. Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.